And we're back with another episode of Fathoms and Enneagram Podcast. We are here with a fellow graduate of Awareness to Action Enneagram University. (laughs) (laughs) Chennai. Hello. Chennai, hello. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much. You were on our show. How long was that first season? I think it was second. I want to say second. Yeah, I think a second. Yeah, and what were we wow. talking about? I should have reviewed this. <laughs> Durian. We talked about Durian. Yeah, we did, Durian. which yeah, we'll talk the, about again. Yeah, we, we will. <laughs> I had a very inspiring question that I asked you guys. Oh, it was a Q and A episode. That's right. It was a Q and A episode. <laughs> I don't remember the exact oh, question. Oh yeah. yeah. That was so much. That was so much fun. So much fun. <laughs> yeah. So Chennai, um, thanks for being here and. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit more specific about the question we sent you. So instead of tell us about yourself, tell us two things that you do every morning. Wow. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think about what I have to do for the day, classic three, Mm -hmm. and I unfortunately check instagram <laughs> so yes those are the two <laughs> is things this I all do. from your bed or are you like out you're up and about i am definitely it's definitely in uh like in bed yep yeah okay yeah okay. in bed <laughs> <laughs> that is such a embarrassing two things that i do but yes i do those two things <laughs> we, we all do those things yeah. yes yeah so i think chennai so for those listeners that maybe did don't remember you from yes our previous uh time talking with you on on the podcast just do tell us a little bit about who you are your your background mm-hmm. the type of work you do etc yeah so my name's chin Ai. if you were looking at the like if you get to see my face right now i would be pointing at my chin and at my eye to tell you exactly how to say my name um and so i'm a malaysian uh, malaysian chinese um so what that means is i'm born in malaysia native to malaysia but i'm of the chinese race and i studied ppe so political science philosophy and economics at taylor university and that's how i know drew and right now i am basically running the people and culture team at a fintech startup in malaysia and i also do enneagram coaching uh, on the side um, where I get to walk and journey with people and share about Enneagram goodness to people. So yeah, Ooh, that's what I do. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. Are you? Are there other Enneagram teachers in Malaysia? Are you aware um, of any others? Yes. So recently I went to uh, Ginger's uh, sort of team transformation training um, in Singapore and I got mm. to meet a fellow Enneagram uh, teacher in at Singapore. And so it was like really, really fun um, to, to get to know her. So, yeah. But you're the best, right? Most no, outstanding. No, 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 no. I would not say that. <laughs> Queen of Malaysia. No, 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 no. I would not say that. <laughs> Queen of Queen the Chennai. Enneagram in Malaysia. Yes. yes. Queen of the Somali Enneagram teacher. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Most encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> and you could probably hear it, listeners, but... It's too bad you can't see it because Chennai does smile a lot. Perpetually. It's infectious, yes. And when was the last time you had durian? Um, 
last year, unfortunately, last year, not this year, but oh, last wow. year. So okay. um, probably like August or October last year. Mm. And for the listeners, can you explain <laughs> <laughs> what Darian what is if they is. haven't heard your first episode? Okay. <laughs> Are you guys ready for this? It is a <laughs> spiky fruit <laughs> with lots of thorns. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> It's a, it has a very pungent smell um, that makes you think that you are under chemical attack. Um, <laughs> but, the <food> is- <laughs> <laughs> but the taste of the fruit is extremely sweet. Um, sometimes it tastes a bit huh. bitter. So as you know, the, the, it's an encapsulation of the word bittersweet. Um, it's really, really mm. good. Yeah, so non-Malaysians or, or non-Southeast Asianers typically don't like it and run away from it. So mm. <laughs> I would yeah. love to try it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I feel like I'll- there's some really helpful like analogies for life. Yeah, <laughs> built into this fruit. Correct. Yes, yes we can. I'll never forget. That. Normally, run away from it. Right. Yes. No yeah. kidding. I'll never. She was <laughs> describing this fruit to my kids in our house. This way, basically, it it could impale you because it's spiky <laughs> and dangerous. It smells awful, but you should totally try it. And all my kids were like, "No way! <laughs> Why would I want to try that thing?" And it oh, technically and it falls from the tree. That's how you know you can eat it, right? It falls from the tree. And so like the durian planters literally have to mm. like have secure netting around the trees so that no one gets killed. <laughs> it's wow. like a cartoon episode, right? Oh my wow. gosh. That's, That's amazing. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh Chennai, getting in a little, a little bit more about your the kind of the ori- origins of your some of your Enneagram story. I'm curious if you could tell our Listeners, like why, you know, you initially were turned on to this this tool, this system. What made you go like, I want to go next level. I want to become certified. I want to, you know, take this to the masses. Mm-hmm. What what was that for you? Very deep question. Um, so, yeah, I think I've always been intrigued with personality uh, testings and personality and, and understanding uh, myself uh, more and understanding personalities of different people. I think human beings and, and personalities and characters definitely um, intrigue me a lot. And I think after being exposed to many different ones, when I um, encountered the Enneagram, like when Drew was introducing um, the Enneagram to us on campus, um, I think it really drew me in um, because of the depth of the Enneagram um, and how the Enneagram sort of explained different aspects of myself that I had not known about um, mm. and given me vocabulary for why I was doing the things that I was doing. And also like it helped under- explain a lot of the, the thought processes and, and also the feelings of maybe inadequacy that I was having about mm. myself. And I think with the Enneagram, it gave me a certain language um, um, to really explore and understand myself deeper. And I think with that, um, so originally I had typed myself as a seven and, and as a seven, I, I think I felt pretty confident and, and pretty good about myself as a seven. And I think like you guys have mentioned, I'm very cheerful, very joyous and that kind of, and I loved, I still do. I love that part of myself, but I also, I think in a sense, I wanted that to be me. 
right? And so I was very happy and very content with being a seven. But secretly, I think um, there were also many points in identifying as a seven that I was thinking to myself that I wanted to be the best seven out there, right? And so I think, <laughs> um, and I think like when, when Sleeping At Last, um, when they sort of produced the three song and the podcast that accompanied mm. it, I think that was like a real sort of like, in a way like revelatory moment. Like I had to sort of confront the idea that maybe I'm a three more than a seven. And I think in, in understanding that and in sort of confronting that truth or like that um, sort of that, that understanding or that acceptance of myself and who I can be uh, more than just sort of that happy-go-lucky, cheerful person that I, I wanted to be in a sense. I think in understanding that and in exploring that journey, I think with the Enneagram, I was able to understand myself and embrace myself a bit better. Um, and then when I came back to Malaysia, I didn't really know of anyone else who knew about the Enneagram um, until a friend who also heard of Sleeping At Last and loved his songs. Then, then we were talking about the Enneagram together and then somehow or other, like, people were starting to refer to me as like the Enneagram expert uh, in the community, right? Um, and I think I was pretty like uncomfortable with that um that labeling but then more and more people were asking me about the enneagram and more and i, I did find myself um, sort of able to share about the enneagram with people and so and then with drew's encouragement uh went to get myself certified and i think that has definitely been the the start of the journey and and to answer your question of why the Enneagram and why why share about the Enneagram. I think I've personally seen and experienced in a sense how the Enneagram has benefited me and has helped me understand myself better as well as help me understand who I am and who I am not, right? And I think um in with that, I think it was it was really the desire to share that with friends, but to share that with friends in a more sort of more knowledgeable way and also in a way that that would truly be beneficial for them rather than just purely based on my experience but also just to understand the wisdom of the enneagram and the knowledge of the enneagram better um so yeah i think i think that's that's why so i think th that naturally leads to the next question that i'd like to ask you chennai which is you you mentioned you you do some of this work enneagram work on the side mm -hmm. but you also uh run people development related initiatives at a financial tech firm in Malaysia. So I'm curious, you know, to what extent are you able to use and integrate the Enneagram into your day job? Yeah. And, and how receptive, you know, kind of generally speaking, what is the Malaysian kind of corporate culture to the Enneagram or tools like it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think firstly, I don't necessarily um, just, sort of shove the Enneagram into people's faces, right? And it's not like because I that's lead the people... That's probably good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like because I lead the people development team, that's why everyone has to learn it. Um, but rather, it's it's more a tool that's, it, that's available for people to explore. Um, and they can sort of talk with me and consult with me if they want to explore further. Um, and, and I think part of how I'm using the Enneagram... Uh, at, in my company right now is that instead of like actively sort of, you know, in a way 
telling them exactly what your Enneagram type is or, or things like that. It's more like if you're interested in understanding more about yourself and understanding more about who you are and how to grow as a person and as a professional, how can we use the Enneagram as a tool to help you grow further um, in, in ways that you are already good at, right? Uh, your strengths and then also to understand your areas of development. Um, so I think, I think that's one way. Um, so definitely coaching um, is one way that I've been using the Enneagram in my day job. And another way I think is also in, in sort of understanding people and understanding why they aren't necessarily performing to their optimal levels. Mm. And sometimes I think it's, I mean, it's kind of sneaky of me, but I think sometimes, you know, I would guess and, and make an educated guess about certain things um, because sure. I'm like, okay, like understanding your Enneagram type and your tendencies, it's probably ABC, right? And, and so when things do happen like ABC, um, It'll be, it, it's kind of fun, right? Um, uh, fun yeah. for me, I guess. Um, but also, I think, <laughs> but I think um, sharing with the, the person as well, um, if they're interested to understand more and to learn more, so that they can then also be equipped with a tool to, to anticipate and also to have a roadmap for themselves when a similar situation happens. Yeah. Because... Well, because I think I think receptivity wise, I think there are people who are definitely a bit uh, more sort of reluctant and skeptical of of the Enneagram as a whole. Um, and then there are people who are very receptive, people who are, funnily enough, I think people who are interested in numer numerology are people who are also then interested in the Enneagram, right? Because I think they sure, see the sure. sort of linkage with that. So I think it's it's really interesting sometimes for me um, is how do I sort of balance that and how do I understand that and also how do I interpret that with people yeah. because I think um, for for Malaysia a lot of our so so we are multicultural and multiracial um, also multi religion so I think uh, a lot of so so numerology is definitely one of the religious practices so like superstitions and like beliefs um, that, that we have here so yeah I can uh, affirm what you said in terms of using it in your uh, day job that my favorite type of Enneagram work is covert right mm -hmm. where I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not actually talking about the Enneagram mm -hmm. but I know I'm using it it's really helpful yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, Chennai, if you can say more about what you, you kind of just started talking about uh, Malaysian culture a little bit, religion. And I wonder if you can say mm -hmm. more because you have had experience um, working with the Enneagram in the U.S. and also in Malaysia. I'm wondering if you can just talk to us about some differences that you see between how maybe North Americans handle and approach the Enneagram and maybe how you're using it or how people respond to it. Anything that come to mind there for you? I think for me, like it, within the North American context, my North American context would be very Christian based and Christian context, right? Um, and then versus my Malaysian uh, context, my Malaysian context would definitely be a, a lot more multi-religious because I think when I went to the States uh, to study, I went to Taylor University and it's a Christian Christian college, Christian university, right? So I think that's a, a, a very different context. And so I think 
I wouldn't dare to like generalize for North American context, but just for North American Christian context versus I think Malaysian context. And and even Malaysian context is a very Malaysian urban context. Um, so I think um, the difference is that uh, I would say that Malaysians are very receptive to to understand and to know it to uh, in in the sense to better themselves, right? So as a in a way as a self help. Tool. Also because I'm using it in a corporate uh, context, right? So I think the way that I'm teaching the Enneagram, uh, if in my company, I will be using it in a very corporate uh, way. And I think uh, definitely awareness, shout out to awareness to action. And I think because that definitely has helped my language and also my contextualization yeah. of um, the Enneagram in the business world. So I would say like in, in Malaysia, we are also, and I try not to link Enneagram with this, the, the spiritualization of the Enneagram, especially in Malaysia, mm-hmm. um, in a sense, because I think when I'm sharing about the Enneagram, I'm coming from a Christian context and I'm coming from a Christian understanding of the Enneagram, um, but also my audience is is not necessarily Christian. And so, yeah, I think I think for me, it's it's really it's it's always sort of a fine balance of understanding that to me um, the enneagram can have some sp- sort of spiritual um, parts to it and elements to it, mm-hmm. but also not wanting to over spiritualize it um, for my audience because, like, I'm seeing it from a spiritual in the sense of like I see it. Um, as a Christian, right? To understand the Enneagram alongside my faith. But also it's like, but with that, like if I, if when I share the Enneagram with my um, multi-religious audience, I also need to be open to the fact that they will see the Enneagram with the, with potentially with a spiritual lens and that spirituality might be coming from a very different faith. So, so for me, um, it's, the language, the language in which I share, the language in which I talk about the enneagram, um, is is definitely quite different depending on the context in which I'm um, speaking about the enneagram. Um, because I talk about the enneagram to churches as well, or like or like Christian organizations in Malaysia as well, and I think with that, um, even more, I have to like sort of you know make sure i don't spiritual uh over spiritualize it to the christian audience because i think from there they can also um, then ask further questions about how is it different from let's say numerology right yeah i think i think it's been uh definitely lots of fun and also lots of nerve-wracking moments of like wanting to make sure that i don't misrepresent Mm. the enneagram but also at the same time i need to be able to allow people to see the Enneagram and to use the Enneagram uh, in a way that best works for them. I love Mm. that awareness and your willingness to just hold this as a tool with with an incredible amount of nuance and to just kind of flow with what is needed in the moment. I think that is a very difficult skill. So we can all, Mm. as Enneagram coaches, (laughs) hope to be able to achieve that. That's lovely. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything that you feel like North Americans just are getting wrong about the Enneagram. Anything you want to be like, guys, just cut it out. Okay, stop it. (laughs) Now's your time to sound off, (laughs) Chennai. 
Well, to be really honest, I I I don't think like I've been I I think um so I've I've not been super active um in like I would say the Instagram Enneagram community. So I think that's like the first You're not missing a whole lot, so that's fine. <laughs> Except for integrated Enneagram. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Except that's for the one you should Enneagram. follow. So it's an oasis in a wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think like um so I, I don't know how to answer that question per se because I, I haven't really been following. I've been really picky and choosy about who I follow and, and, and what I listen to because honestly I I've just been so busy um with life and work and everything. And so I think for me I, I don't really have anything to say to um the North American Enneagram community per se. But I I, I, I would say that um I think the, the major voices that I'm listening to, I, I'm hearing and I'm getting a lot of diversity. Um and, and which is which is something that I love and I uh and, and something that I, I really appreciate. I thought that was a great was answer. Good. Dropping more wisdom bombs here. Like <laughs> guard who you're listening to. Make sure it's diverse and yeah. limited. That's right. Tonight, we are focusing this season on the dynamics of personhood. Mm-hmm. And being that, if, I, if I'm correct, you're from, your heritage is Chinese, but you grew up in Malaysia. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Okay. So within those cultures, from the perspective of your type, what sort of cultural overlays have you found that actually help your, your type strategy? And what is work maybe working against you in your type strategy? Ooh, such a good one. So I would say my type strategy is I want to be outstanding. I want to be most outstanding. Uh, <laughs> um, and I would say my Chinese heritage wants us uh, uh, to be outstanding in whatever we do and whatever we put our hands on. We have this term in, in Singapore slash Malaysia. Um, it is called gyasu. It basically means afraid to lose um scared to mm. lose right um and and so it's gasu and gassi so gassi is scared to die um and then gasu is scared to lose and it's and it's mm. always used sort of together in a way right so it almost in a way also sort of implies to lose is to die right um i i not not necessarily, but I think mm. it, it is used so interlinked with one another that I, I, I think that's something that I grew up with. And I think being from coming from Malaysia um, as a developing country, in a sense, I think we've also been taught to sort of um, you have to fight, you know, you have to fight for what you want. You have to and you have to fight to be the best in order to get what you want, because if you're not the best, how else are you going to get what you want? So, for example, like getting to go to the States to study, that's a huge privilege and a huge blessing. And in a way, it was, you know, I think for me, if I'm thinking from a Malaysian Chinese, the only reason 
why I would be able to study in the States is because I had studied hard enough, I had scored well enough that I was able to sort of, you know, get that scholarship to go um, and study in the States. And and of course, I think for me now, as I think back, I know that it's it's not just that, right? It's it's a lot of blessing, a lot of, I, I think a lot of God, uh, really honestly. But I think coming from as a Chinese um, and as a Chinese a Malaysian Chinese, that that idea of like you need to you need to get uh, as much as you can by being the best, right? Or or by being the most outstanding. And so I think that was uh, that's something that definitely shaped me and and strengthened my type strategy. Definitely a double edged sword, right? I think in learning the Enneagram, it's also learning how much your type strategy can be a double edged sword. And I think for me, as I'm I'm raised in the sense to to see life that way and to see myself that way, I think on the on the flip side of it is that I, I've, you know, I've, I think for me, I've seen my identity as very much equivalent to what I've achieved and the, the milestones and the, and the things that, you know, I've, I've been to and how am I better than the next person in a sense. Um, and I think the, the softening and the, the, the loosening of that type strategy is, is really to see, uh, learning to see who I am in essence and who I am really apart from what I've achieved and what I've earned or, so, or, or won in a sense. I think um, that's something that I'm still learning. Um, and then coming back to Malaysia, I think going to the States and then coming back to La- Malaysia and coming back to the homeland, really understanding and, and really remembering um, what I've learned about my type. I think that has also been a learning journey in and of itself. Because um, I think to return home and to come and to transition back home, I think I did need a bit, a, a, quite a bit of time actually to, to readjust back to what does it look like to not fall back into my type strategy. Janai, could I ask um, about a specific example? It, maybe that comes to mind with a relationship or situation or circumstance in which that double-edged sword of the type strategy and the Chinese-Malaysian uh, overlay, how those correlate. Like, is there, how has knowing that double-edged sword been beneficial for you in, in a situation yeah. that you can um, think of? I think, I don't know whether it's like necessarily like with relationship per se, but mm-hmm. I think maybe a, a specific example would be the idea of, I think for me, let's say wanting to be the most outstanding. So, so let's say in my current company, wanting to be the most outstanding. And so I think I would want to hoard the praises for myself, right? I wouldn't want to hoard um, the well-dones and the accolades for myself. So I, I work with a team member. So I would say that um, an example would be my type strategy would love to just to be able to say like, you know, all of these things that are done with the people team, with recruitment, with hiring, with retention, with employee engagement, that's all me. Right? I would be love to be able to say that and, and to, mm-hmm. to be able to, mm-hmm. to, to be outstanding in that sense and, and to receive the accolades and the thank yous. I would say that that's a double-edged sword in and of itself, right? Because like it's, it's me being selfish and it's me being 
deceitful in a sense, right? I am being untruthful um, to reality because in reality, it's that I'm not working alone. I'm working with a team and the team is pulling their weight and the team is doing so much also to make sure that um, mm -hmm. what we have set for, the goals that we have set for are being done and achieved. And I think what it takes out from me that I, I have to remember is that when I don't give credit when credit is due, what happens is that I also lessen and I also minimize the impact that I am actually giving um, to the company and to my fellow team member as well, right? And so I think when mm. I remember and when I'm in my healthier moments of remembering and, and remembering to give credit and to understand and to see it as a teamwork, I think that's when um, the magic happens and also that's when uh, you know uh, there's um, more fellowship and more camaraderie that's being communicated and is being built and I think that's when we can both achieve more together so yeah it's very vulnerable I hope my colleague never listens to this episode but anyway <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was great. No, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, I have one more question along along the type lines. So from type three, you're connected to nine and six. How do you see those um, expressing themselves as it, as it relates to the culture that you're a part of? I know at least for for the U.S., right? It's hyper individualistic, and so when we think about three, we always think of a hyper individualistic person doing all of it all the time by themselves, calling them the lone wolf when ironically often the lone wolf, the lone wolf is the one who gets cast out and will die soon because he's not part of a pack. But <laughs> do you see that sort of hyper individualism expressed in, in, in your culture as a three or is it, is there more of a collective mindset? Um, I would say both end. So I think in, in the corporate culture, um, the type three uh, strategy definitely is celebrated and, and desired. Um, so people do want you to be more individualized. People do want you to be able to shout out about your own um, sort of achievements and, and want you to be able to name your achievements and to sort of um, adapt to different work environments or work expectations and also work um, sort of challenges, right? And so I think, I think that's something that's um, that people do want, um, especially in the corporate culture. Then I think on the flip side of it, right, then you have the sort of, well, from what I, uh, what I am exposed to and what I know of, then there are also other communities who are more um, sort of more community-based. And, and so Malaysia, uh, we're multiracial. And so each race actually also, in a sense, they have a cultural identity and they have a racial identity. And so I would say Chinese are a bit more sort of industrial. They are more individual uh, you know, they, they are more individual thinking and individual mindset at this, while at the same time, family is super uh, important. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that uh, in the Chinese culture, then yes, right, uh, it, it does sort of mimic uh, American individualized uh, culture a bit more. As compared to the, let's say the Malays, the Malays are a super community focused, super community, um, they prioritize the community, they prioritize harmonization, they prioritize the, 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 the unity of the people and, and making 
making sure that everyone is being taken care of and no one gets left behind, right? And and so even if everyone needs to just sort of slow down and and make sure that the last person is is following along and is able to catch up, they would they would um, slow everyone down. And so I would say that probably the Malays uh, uh, represent the six uh, the type six strategy a bit more. So yeah, I would say I would say. Um, in Malaysian culture, it's it's sort of quite distinct, but also at the same time a, a huge melting pot in and of itself. But yeah, yeah. but um, so I would say that we're trying to learn from each other, but at the same time, there's clear. Um, there is also this sense of like friction and inertia and mm-hmm. not understanding where the other might be coming from. But but of course we have sexes in in in, Chi- in Chinese communities and and vice versa. But the, the the sense of community is definitely I would say definitely stronger in the Malay culture um, compared to the Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. But I would say like the type nine is is also um, uh, like I understand like for me I think the type nine like the the sense and the need for harmony um right and so i think because of like let's say world war 2 um as well as like a, there was a racial war that happened post independence right and it's quite recent it's not that long ago um so so my mm-hmm. grandparents generation definitely remembers it and so i think in that sense then the type 9 um strategy is also very strong right so there is there is a sense of like we don't want to we don't want to go against the government we don't want to go against the ruling government mm. in order to keep the harmony in order to keep the peace mm. um so while there there might be tension underneath um there isn't there lacks a certain sense of like urgency or like initiative to to really um oppose right instead then the they're willing to sort of you know step out of that sense of activism but to uh then sort of fend for themselves and survive outside of that ecosystem in a sense um whereas mm-hmm. you can see like on the flip side of it um now the younger generation uh, definitely is engaging more and taking part more in in um being active um in their political voice i'm wondering what it's like for you um you know, we have all these intersecting identities. And for you as a female, going into these corporate spaces, you know, sometimes that can be a difficult place. So I'm wondering what it's been like for you as a female Enneagram 3 in the Malaysian corporate world, that corporate culture. What what has your experience been like there? Yeah, um, I would say... Um, it definitely has been a mixture. I think. I think another part for me um, that I'm also sort of dealing with um, is also my age, right? I'm quite young. I'm like on the younger spectrum. So, I, so um, I think. I think to, for I think for sometimes my when my voice isn't necessarily being heard or ne- isn't necessarily uh, being taken seriously, sometimes it's because of uh, my age, um, and also. Probably because of my disposition, right? Like I'm cheerful, I'm like happy and stuff like that. So I sometimes need to be a bit more serious. So I think uh, that would probably be where the three sort of needs to come up a bit to to figure out what image to present um, and depending on the situation that I am in. With regards to the intersection of identities, I think I would say it's been a lot of fun um, and it's 
takes also it also takes a lot of remembering and centering um and and really remembering who i am um at the core right because i think as a type 3 um and as you mentioned just now as a as a woman um as someone who's younger and then as a, as a chinese and then as a malaysian and and all of these different sort of identities and different yeah labels that i'm carrying i i do think that I am constantly juggling who I am or who I am presenting myself as. Um, so, so it definitely takes a lot of centering um, after, right? When I come back, who do I see myself as, right? Like it's okay who other people see me as and they can take whatever piece in a sense, whatever piece of me um, that I've presented them with. But at the end of the day, who do I see myself as? I think that has been a journey in and of itself. And that has been something that um, I have had to wrestle with. And so I think when I am secure in who I am at the core, it really doesn't matter who and how people see me as. But I think um, something that has been... So, so I, would, I would still answer your question as it's been really fun. Um, honestly, because I think um, people do tend to not take me seriously, right? And so, and I kind of let them, right? In a sense, I kind of let them mm. and then I will pop something that's like brilliant, I guess. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, and then they'll look at me differently, right? And so, um, I think, I, I'm yes. amazing. <laughs> yes, I'm like, booyah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's annoying, right? So, so that's it. it really is. It's annoying um, when, when people don't take you seriously um, or, or sort of, you know, um, disregard what you're trying to say um, and disregard your voice. Then it actually, I mean, for me, it activates the part of me um, that gets um, competitive and the challenger side of me comes up. It's like, oh, so you think that I am not qualified to sit at this table. Let me show you why Ooh. I'm extra qualified, why I'm overqualified mm. to sit Come at this table. On. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think, um, I think that, um, that is how I see it. But I, I would say that <laughs> at the end of the day, the, the centering and the remembering who I am and what I am and what I'm not um, it is what's um, very important for me as a type three mm -hmm. um and then also as a woman as well as a chinese woman yeah um i love that uh just this activation toward <laughs> um like watch out i'm gonna show you what i got now that sort of flows naturally into another question for me of like you know you spent uh, at least your college life right in the in the, in the states uh so having some pretty solid contrast of different cultures. Uh, I'm curious, like, are there aspects of your experience in the States that cause that for you to be like, watch out, here I come now that I've been, you know, is there a way that there's some pet peeves about your experience with sort of the majority experience of the United States uh, brain as like, we are? <laughs> Everybody has to do it the way we do it. I don't know. What, what, yeah. Whatever that can be. Um, yes, it definitely has um, shaped that part of me, that, that part of me that, that wants to prove to you, um, you know, exactly why I am qualified to sit at the mm -hmm. table. I, I, I think, and they're both sides of my experience, um, which has allowed me to, to be that. 
one part of the experience is because I was looked down upon. You know, like I think when they when they see me, I guess they see someone uh, or they saw someone who, in a way, I guess was like a l- little kid coming um, from a less modern or a less developed place. And um, so I, I, I think that's, that's and that uh, sense of being looked down on definitely activated that part of me that wants to prove to you. Um, but also on the other mm-hmm. side, on the other hand, my experience in the States also was what taught me to be vocal and to, to express myself in, in ways that, that people would listen and people would see me and see and, and they would turn their heads, right? So I think uh, because c- cause it was both, both, both and I had both the experiences of um, being looked down upon and hence my challenges that came up, but also at the same time, I had experiences of people believing in me and, be, uh, and people encouraging me to speak up. And so, um, because I would say that Malaysian, in Malaysian culture, um, especially in Malaysian Chinese culture, um, kids were told to sort of keep quiet, mm. right? Kids were like, the younger ones were told to keep quiet. Thankfully, my parents did not raise me up that way. Like I was taught to be vocal um, from a very young age. But I think like in the States, I, I had the opportunity mm. and I was, I was given confidence to speak up more and to, to express what I, what I think and what I, and that I'm, I guess, and that I'm smart, right? I, I think that was something that, um, I, I, I learned in the States in a way. Um, and partially also I learned that I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm smart and sometimes smarter than my American friends. Right. And so, um, I guess, I guess, I guess I would say maybe, um, yeah, like I, I don't think that, uh, I would say the one pet peeve is probably don't think that you know it all or, 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 you you know you you know better than people mm. uh, but but um the question about pet mm-hmm. peeve i think mm. the biggest pet peeve i have um is with names right and so i think um when people don't make the effort to 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 find out uh, about names about our names because our names are structured differently mm. um they are they they are pronounced differently right so so um, if you're not sure about how to call someone, ask them, right? And, 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 then, and then pay attention when they mm-hmm. tell you or when they teach you and remember it, right? And so I think my big, biggest pet peeve would be when mm-hmm. repeatedly being called something um, that I don't necessarily identify with. So you've already demonstrated a lot of ways in which you're holding lots of different identities, lots of different concepts, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, um, different experiences. So we're giving you a soapbox and what we're wanting to do a lot in this, in this season is kind of speak to the Enneagram community on how we can be better unified despite the different schools of thought, despite the different cultural overlays, the identities, all the things that we are different from each other on. Um, how we see the world differently, all those things. What would you say is a way, a simple way to begin to come at this this powerful tool in a more u- unified fashion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think when uh, I saw that question, I think for me at the 
like the first thing that comes to mind is what drew you to the Enneagram in the first place? And when we can find out about what is it exactly about the Enneagram that we can all agree on, right? For example, that the Enneagram, there's nine types, right? That's something that we can all agree on, right? And I think finding out what... <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, <laughs> there are some people that think there are 10, actually, so... <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, then, well... <laughs> then what, what drew you... Well, but... Enya means nine. <laughs> anyway. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Um, there you go, being smarter than other people again, Chennai. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess to, to really to find out what is it about the Enneagram that we can all agree on and then start from there, I would say is, is my take on it. Like the most essential part of the Enneagram. And I think to really hold it with a sense of it is okay for us to not agree on everything and it is okay to not agree at all right but essentially with the enneagram why anyone would first come to the enneagram and first want to explore what the enneagram has to offer is that we are all trying to find out more about ourselves and we're all trying to find out more about other people mm -hmm. right the people whom we love the people we live with and the people um we hold dear to right and so i think for us at the end of the day like the enneagram is the the first thing that why people would want to know about the Enneagram is really to, to better ourselves, uh, to try to better ourselves as human beings. And I think for, for me, that, that in itself can be so unifying. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is how and is why the Enneagram community can come together and, and can be unified, right? It, we don't have to agree on things. I think that's also probably one of the first things that we have to agree on um, yes. is, is that we don't need to agree yeah. uh, on everything. In building a community, you're not trying to build a community of sameness, right? You, you're not, everyone doesn't have to be the same, mm -hmm. but you're coming together with the understanding and the desire to understand more about human beings and to mm -hmm. understand more about yourselves and, and people around you. Um, and I think that is the Enneagram to me. Yeah. Yes, and I think yeah. that's how you unify people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Oh, that was beautiful. For real, that was really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I think you do know, Chennai. I think that's a good word for our listeners and for the broader Enneagram community. So thank you for that. And thank you for your wisdom mm -hmm. and insight and joy and all that you bring. Uh, to these conversations. Um, Chennai, where, if people want to connect with you, follow your work, where can they do that? At In This Together um, on Instagram, E-N-N-E-T-H-I-S-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R. <laughs> All right, very good. And so hire her. That's where you can follow Chennai <laughs> and keep up with yes. her. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. Chennai. Yes. And hire her. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Shanae's getting married very soon. So let's go. She That's needs awesome. cash, people. Let's go. Uh, thanks, Shanae. Thanks, Shanae. Thank, Thank, Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. 
We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. <laughs>